Hello, welcome to the Who'd Have Thought That About Drought podcast. I'm Dr Rebecca Pierce. Now, the wild weather last weekend gave my garden and allotment a very good drink and blew down all the wonderful stands of scarlet runner beans on the allotments, except for mine. That's probably because I use a rather unorthodox method of constructing half arches of canes that enable me to stand underneath and pick the beans as they dangle down. Because of the design, it has to be strong and able to withstand high winds. I don't grow sweet peas in the same way, but thankfully they too were not ripped from their supports and the thick and overly sweet scent of the blooms is filling my garden at dusk. The temperature and raised moisture levels are clearly doing a perfect job of bringing summer romance back into my garden. Water customers will no doubt be delighted to hear that all threats of host bike bans are off for now. This year has very clearly illustrated the direct relationship between water supplies and heat waves. It doesn't matter how much water there is in reserve, when demand peaks above normal, reservoir levels drop noticeably. It is obvious how these things happen. Children get hot and tired and irritable, and one of the first things parents try to do these days is cool them down with water. Paddling pools and larger above-ground pools are in high demand this year, and with the average above-ground pool taking around 4,000 litres of water, it is easy to see that a sudden increase in the number of households filling pools, combined with an increase in garden watering and bathing and showering, can quickly impact on a water company's reserves. To put this into context, the contents of one pool represents roughly a month's average water supply for one person. A hose pipe can use between 500 and 1,000 litres of water an hour, and so an hour of watering with a hose pipe each week in your garden could add another person's water supply onto your bill. As we don't have heat waves all the time, water companies aren't always in a position to respond to huge increases in demand. The easiest way of smoothing out the peaks is to temporarily ban the use of hose pipes. Let's face it, if you've invested in an above ground pool this year and then had to fill it with a watering can, that takes about 500 trips back and forth to the tap to refill. It's great weight bearing exercise, you'll work up a sweat doing it in a heat wave, but it all will take a long time. With an aerating tap, probably four minutes per trip, that's about 33 hours of work. I never expected that, I hear you say. Well, thank heavens for the hose pipe. But just think for a moment, there are people who may need that water more than you. The farming community is struggling. I note that one helpful reader has written to the paper I'm reading to suggest that it would be much cheaper if all farmers watered their grass rather than using up winter feedstocks. Even if it were possible to provide every livestock farm with enough hoses and sprinklers to do the job, imagine the crippling impact it would have on water supplies and it might not actually help the situation. This clip of Roger recalling what it was like dairy farming in the 1976 heatwave might shed some light on what is happening at the moment on farms. One of the advantages is when you've got a dry time, the forage the cows are eating, or the grass the cows are eating, they don't have to eat too. They don't have to eat massive amounts to feel full. 
um, because the nutrition is very high, uh, where if you have wet grass, they've got to eat a lot <laughs> to satisfy themselves. So that was, that was a bonus for me. And the cows were very content. They would lie out and the sun was there. And, but it was very difficult from the farming point of view because the, um, we made our first cut of silage usually about the 20th of May. Mm. And we had a reasonable amount. But then we, because I was fairly heavily stocked, I had to make a second cut and a third cut. And it was getting very, very difficult because we hadn't had the rain. Yeah. And I did have a 20-acre field where I made, at that time, hay. And I remember it, it was a reasonable crop. Mm. And I remember we were going out to load up the bales. And at 11 o'clock in the morning, we had to stop because we were both, the, the man I employed, yeah. I, we were both absolutely exhausted because of the heat. Mm. It was mm. so hot and very humid, really. Um, that we had to stop and we waited until the evening and at 8 o'clock we went out to finish the job. And it was a very difficult time in many ways to um, prepare for the following year because naturally your silage, the amount of silage you make carries you through to the next year. And I was having to buy in hay and straw to supplement what I should have had but I didn't get because of the weather conditions. So it was quite... um, uh, difficult because I remember having to buy silage the following year because I was short and of course there was no money doing that buying it at 20 pounds a ton uh, and feeding it mm. and I was very very uh, worried because um, I really wasn't making any money that year because it was all going out in feed costs. There you see it is not all a simple problem and we are all dipping into the same water commons no matter which company is providing the pipes. Ban or no ban, appeals for water saving are going to continue throughout the summer and hose pipe bans may have to be brought in in some areas to make sure that there is enough to go round for households, businesses and farms. As you might have concluded now already, hose pipe bans really can be necessary sometimes. This has nothing to do with the water company failure. It is just a fact that if a lot of households turn their taps on, leave them running for hours on end, which must be what happens when a new above ground pool is filled, then the burden on the water supply system is increased and sometimes it is not possible to treat water fast enough to maintain supplies. This is what happened in Belfast at the end of June and as the heat is rising again, it may happen in the south of England in the coming weeks. I recently discovered that another thing that is selling well alongside pools and paddling pools are shower curtains, see-through ones with waterproof pockets of varying sizes in them that can take smart devices. This means we're now able to spend time on social media or watch films or maybe even make calls while we're in the shower. And I'm sure you know where this conversation is going. In a drought, the last thing we want to be doing is spending too long in the shower. I, for one, am hoping that this type of behaviour does not become the norm, especially while the drought continues. If you think that the temporary cooling and a drop of rain means the drought is over, then you're most definitely mistaken. I can tell from the way the bird bath in the garden is drying out on a daily basis that what we have received is fast evaporating away again. And it would be really great if everyone with a garden could begin to look out for the signs of drought and adjust their water use accordingly.
Anyway, let's hear from Pauline, who knows an awful lot about droughts. Here she is describing what it was like in 76 when she returned home from the university to her family home in Cheshire to discover there was a host pipe ban. Yeah, so so the lot, yeah, the heat wave was the, I think, yeah, that is still my my top memory of it mm. is the heat, mm. the continuous heat, and the reliable warmth, and the you know the fact that weather was nice for then doing outdoor things in being an outdoorsy kind of person and mm. one that quite likes the heat. You know, there were other people that were obviously suffering yes. from yeah. the heat. And yes. professionally, I recognise now. Yeah, we talked to Public Health England about drought and heat wave planning, and mm. heat waves are not great news for the vulnerable. No. Um, but I wasn't vulnerable, I was a sort of, you know, 20-year-old student, so that was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I went home, mm. you know, because again, what students do, go home to mum and dad, <laughs> and with a rucksack full of laundry, <laughs> <laughs> and to sort of, you know, get on with the rest of my summer, mm. and there's my mum kind of trying to water her vegetable garden, and by then, you know, this is in Cheshire, I've moved mm. from, so I've moved from East Anglia to Cheshire, um, there's a hose pipe van, and she's not allowed to use a hosepipe on her garden and everybody's being really asked to save water and I really do remember the water saving messages from that time um, you know the media stuff in the papers on the radio um, they didn't have television we didn't have television at home but the radio certainly um, and the local papers as well as the national papers us all being exhorted to you know, share baths, save water. Um, <laughs> and Mum and I kind of rigging up a, an irrigation system for her vegetable patch using the bath water. So we, you know, we'd have somebody upstairs sort of when it's ready to kind of release the bath water <laughs> that half the family's bathed in and then yeah. capturing it into kind of buckets and containers and so on as, mm. at the bottom end of the downpipe to mm. take across to water the vegetable patch. Um, so, so that was a real, you know, uh, I think, and to me that was interesting as well because tied in with my professional studies at the time yeah. at the university. Yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, this is real. You know, I'm studying water resources at university and look what's happening. You know? <laughs> this is quite exciting stuff. Pauline went on to have a long career in the Environment Agency and she talked to me at length about her work. But she also talked more practically about the cues she takes from nature at home in her garden that indicated it's time to take action and change water practices. Do you, you've got lots and lots of data at your disposal mm. and people to talk to, but do you still have a, a personal things that you do or see or, or feel that are not written or in a computer screen or anything that give you a clue? Do you, yes. Do you, are you, do you feel you're more sensitive to, to drought? Yeah, completely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to have an allotment. I don't have an allotment anymore, but that was one of my barometers because obviously I was digging the soil and mm -hmm. seeing its state. Mm. Um, but I did sort of semi-jokingly set up a personal kind of drought monitor system once, really? saying just sort of really not not implementing it fully, but just sort of telling people, well, here are the things that I personally notice that make mm. me think, right, I need to keep a bit more of an eye on things. So mm. stuff like, do you need to water the plant pots on the patio? Mm. Um, are the sources underneath them or away from them? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, something. Were they drowning, and you need to take the, the sources away, or have you put the sources under? Um, how often do I need to wash my bicycle? Has it got all muddy, or is it staying nice and clean because the weather's dry and the ground's dry? Um, all sorts of yeah, the things about digging the soil. 
I have a toy rain gauge in my garden. It's not a proper one. Mm. Non Met Office approved, but it's kind of ten percentish accurate yeah. either side. Yeah. Um, I kind of keep a little eye on. Um, so yeah, I, I do kind of. I'm quite an observe the weather, and is it hot and sunny, or is it mm. cool? Um, all those things. I'm kind mm. of you know personally having a little bit of a an eye on as yeah. part of my my personal sense of are we getting near to needing to monitor for drought. There. What are the signs of drought that are obvious to you at the moment? For me, it is my rapidly drying bird bath and the heady scent of sweet peas. Whatever it is for you, please don't waste water because the drought is set to continue. And so therefore, this podcast series will. Next week, we'll be talking about water quality in hot weather. Bye for now.